Just then, his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek? Or what are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of 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 him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say, There are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows another reap, and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you do not, did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I have ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the saviour of the world. I absolutely love this book. It's called Out of the Black Shadows, uh, written by somebody called Stephen Lungu. In the 1960s, the Black Shadows were a terrorist group in what was then uh, called Rhodesia, now uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, Stephen Lungu was a member of that terrorist group. And uh, this uh, book tells the story of how he got converted at the very meeting he went to blow up. At the Christian meeting he went to destroy, he heard about Jesus, and rather than detonate the bombs that he'd taken, uh, he became a Christian. It was a a Sunday when his life was completely turned around, and the next morning he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. He got on a bus, um, and uh, he writes these words. It was early Monday morning, and the bus was crowded with glum commuters. In my newfound excitement, I could not keep my joy to myself. I felt that I was going to burst any minute. Suddenly I jumped to my feet. I took a deep breath and said in a loud voice, ladies and gentlemen, do you know what happened to me last night? Heads the length of the bus swung round, eyebrows went up, smiles of faint derision and frowns of faint apprehension played on people's faces. This was all they needed to make their Monday morning melancholy complete, a madman aboard their bus. So I hastened to reassure my captive audience that everything was all right because I had some really good news. I'll tell you what happened to me last night, I shouted over the gasping engine. I found Jesus. At the next stop, he tells us, he was thrown off the bus. It's, um, it's a cracking story of a life completely changed in an instant when he encountered Jesus. And that is what we see here in John chapter 4. And the first point on the handout, if you're following along, the woman's testimony, a life transformed. If you've been with us over these last couple of weeks, you'll know that we've been looking at this fascinating encounter between Jesus and a Samaritan woman. 
She was just going about her everyday life, not intending to blow anybody up like Stephen Lungu, and certainly not expecting an explosive meeting with Jesus that would utterly change her life forever and then go on to change the lives of others as well. As she fetched water from a well, Jesus made her a thirst-quenching offer of guaranteed satisfaction in this life and the next. And that's what we've seen over these last couple of weeks, uh, particularly looking at verses 13 and 14. And uh, as Wes has already said, if you've missed it, you can catch up on, um, on the website. Anyway, having met Jesus, her responses in verses 28 and 29 are fascinating. Look again at verse 28. The woman left her water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? I love the detail there in verse 28. She left her water jar. Now, of course, it's what she actually did. It's what actually happened. But John, I think, includes it because it's a powerful picture of one or two things. Just try these for size and see what you think. First, it could be symbolically showing us that she understood what Jesus had been saying to her. Again, if you look back to verse 13, if you weren't here these last weeks or if you've forgotten, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, water from the well, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So it could be that leaving the water jar behind was a sign that she understood this and believed this and embraced this. The water from the well was not going to satisfy, not deep down. And so as she headed off into town in verse 28, leaving her water jar was like saying, I don't need this anymore. I've met Jesus. I've um, had the great joy and privilege of uh, reading the Bible with uh, a city worker for the last uh, eight months or so. We meet every week. I was telling him about this incident in John 4 as I've been preparing for it. And he said this to me. Since deciding to fully embrace my faith in Jesus Christ, my outlook and approach to life has fundamentally changed. I feel as if a weight has been lifted. Prior worries about my work, status, money have fallen away from my day-to-day life. Fulfillment no longer comes from chasing that promotion or pay rise, something I would expend huge amounts of time and energy to achieve. Yeah, he's still in his city job, but work is no longer where he tries to fulfill any need to discover what life's all about. Now, that could be what the woman was doing as she left her water jar, saying, I don't need this anymore. And then leaving her water jar behind might just have been because she intended to return. Certainly when we read on, that's that's the case. If you look again at verse 28, she went away into town and said to the people of the town, verse 29, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. It seems she only left Jesus to go and get everyone in the town to come back to meet Jesus. Like Stephen Lungu on the bus. I've met Jesus. Now I want everyone else to know him too. But what a remarkable thing this woman said to the people of the town in verse 29. Do you see it there? Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. It is quite something. Remember, this woman had a past, a sordid past. Uh, We saw that last week back in uh, verse 18. She had five failed marriages, and now she's shacking up with a bloke who isn't her husband, which either means they haven't got married or she's with someone else's husband. Either way, back in the day, in that culture, it would have been really frowned upon. The point is, this woman had a past that she was ashamed of, and the present wasn't that great either. And it left her ostracized, cancelled by the culture. She was a, a social pariah. 
That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day. She was avoiding people. So what a surprise verse 29 is. She's not only walking into town and telling everyone to come and meet Jesus, but she's telling them to come and meet the man who could tell her everything she ever did. So she's walked back into town and she's told this man to come and uh, she's told everybody to come uh, because she wants them to meet a man who can tell them everything she ever did. Certainly not something I'd want. I really wouldn't want you to come and meet someone who could tell you everything I ever did before I became a Christian. In fact, it's the last thing I'd want. But this woman had met Jesus and he was quite possibly the first man she'd ever met who treated her with dignity and respect. Clearly, Jesus was a man she felt safe with, a man she felt she could trust. So she left her water jar, went into the town and said to everyone, verse 29, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And I love verse 30. They went out of the town and were coming to him. And again, it's intriguing, isn't it? Did they go because they thought they might meet the Christ or were they news of the world type readers? You know, you know, the people who love a saucy story and really did want to hear everything that she ever did. Well, at this point, we don't know. Uh, What we do know is that as we meet this woman, we met someone whose life was completely turned around in one meeting with Jesus. Now, of course, many of us here will be able to say exactly the same thing. We've we've read the Bible and and reading the Bible. We've not just read about a man who lived 2000 years ago in a place 2000 years uh, 2000 miles away. No, as we've read the Bible, we've actually encountered the living Lord Jesus the one who was risen from the dead and who now reigns over all the earth. And many of us here will be able to testify to how a genuine encounter with Jesus through reading his word has so transformed our lives that we want to tell everyone about him because what he has to offer is simply too good not to to tell everyone and to keep it to ourselves. It's what happened to me. I started to follow Jesus on the 25th of March, 1983. It was a Friday evening. I remember it well. Three days later, Monday morning, the 28th of March, 1983, I went to work at the Beds, Bucks and Hearts newspapers and started telling my colleagues about Jesus. It was too good to keep it to myself. This woman didn't even wait three days like me. She didn't even wait until the next morning like um, Stephen Lungu on the bus. She went immediately into town. And as the story unfolds, we see that her testimony had a huge impact on the whole town. But before we see that, as the woman heads off, John tells us a fascinating exchange between Jesus and the disciples. And we're now at the second point on the handout, Jesus' hunger and appetite satisfied. So the woman's gone off. And now we're going to look at this exchange between uh, Jesus and his disciples. Look again, as the woman walks off into town, John writes verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. So the disciples said to one another, has someone brought him something to eat? At the beginning of chapter 4 in verse 8, if you look back, you'll see that John informs us that the disciples had left Jesus to go and get food from the city. Jesus was hungry and thirsty, having walked miles in the searing Middle Eastern heat. And now the disciples have returned with a selection of Tesco meal deals. And verse 31, they're urging Jesus to tuck in. But strangely, he's not interested. Having sent the disciples away to get food when he was tired and thirsty and hungry, now they've come back with a halloumi wrap, a bottle of Diet Coke and a packet of port scratchings. Well, probably not the port scratchings. But anyway, his disciples have brought him food and now he's not interested. 
And Jesus is talking about having food that they know nothing about, verse 32. And so, verse 33, his disciples presume someone has got Uber Eats to deliver Jesus a Big Mac meal with a chocolate milkshake, but they're missing the point. And we too will, unless we, we, we also will miss the point, unless we grasp that Jesus does something here that he does again and again in John's gospel. And we've already seen in this chapter over the last couple of weeks how Jesus uses physical truths to explain explain spiritual realities. Remember how the Samaritan woman at the well was thirsty, physically thirsty for physical water. And Jesus talked to her about spiritual thirst and how he can quench her thirst for meaning of life by giving her spiritual water, what he called living water. Jesus uses physical truths to explain spiritual realities. And that is precisely what's going on here with food. At the beginning of the chapter, we're told Jesus was physically hungry. At the beginning of the chapter, we see Jesus in all his humanity, identifying with us, tired from a journey, thirsty from the heat of the day, exhausted and in need of food. But then by the time the disciples arrive back from town, he's not interested in the supplies they've brought. And so the disciples wonder, verse 33, if someone else has brought him something to eat. Jesus replies, verse 34, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish my work. Jesus has been fed, his hunger satisfied by doing the work and will of the Father. And we inevitably ask the question, well, what has Jesus been doing between the time the disciples went off into town to get food and now have arrived back? Of course, he's been talking to this Samaritan woman about how he can satisfy her deepest need. In short, Jesus has been about the work of evangelism. Jesus has been telling her how he is the answer to the big issues of the meaning of life and what happens when we die. And that is the work of God. I put some references on the work of God in in John's Gospel on the handout for you. Read through them later on and you'll see that the work of God is the work of redemption, accomplished through people believing in Jesus' sacrificial death, bringing them to eternal life. Jesus has been telling the Samaritan woman who, who he is and what he can do for her. He's been bringing her to believe in him. He's been about the work of evangelism. And doing that work has filled him spiritually, just as a plate plate of steak and chips fills us physically. And because in this incident, Jesus is very much identifying with us in all his humanity, what is true of Jesus here is true of us too. I've certainly been my experience, and I would guess uh, if you're a Christian, it's been your experience too. As we share the gospel with people, and especially when we see people becoming Christians, it brings us deep satisfaction. It, it fills us up. Being about the work of God, this work of redemption, pointing people to the sacrificial death of Jesus Christ, and seeing people believe and have eternal life, being about that work fills us. Now, this is why if you're a Christian here in the city, we're urging you to be part of the Share Life initiative that, um, that Wes was telling us about earlier at these three weeks leading up to Easter where we're encouraging everyone to intentionally plan a time with colleagues in order to share the gospel of eternal life with them because the news is so good we can't keep it to ourselves. And we do it then for their good because this is the best news in the world and everyone needs to hear it. It's for their good. It's for God's glory because as people become Christians, God is glorified. It's for others good, it's for God's glory, and if you want another G, it's for our gratification, or better, our satisfaction. 
Because as we tell people about Jesus, it satisfies us. It fills us spiritually. And so Jesus tells his disciples to crack on with the work of evangelism. Look at verse 35. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labour. Others have laboured and you have entered into their labour. Jesus' message is very clear. There's a ripe harvest out there. People are ready to become Christians, so, so don't put it off. Go and tell them. Don't wait. Don't make excuses. Verse 35, do you not say there are yet four more months, then comes the harvest? But don't wait because, verse 35, the fields are white for harvest. Look, this is a massive challenge to me because my temptation is always to put off telling people about Jesus. I'm always tempted to wait for a better time, a a more convenient moment, the perfect opening, a more receptive person. Jesus says, now's the time, seize the day. In verses 36 to 38, he says that this gathering in of the harvest actually has already started. Now is the time to sow the gospel word of God telling people about Jesus. Now is the time to reap by calling people to turn to Jesus in repentance and faith. And I love that at the end of verse 36. Look, sower and reaper are rejoicing. It's kind of what we've already seen, being about this work of God, this work of evangelism, fills us, satisfies us. It brings us joy. Sower and reaper rejoicing. Then look at the fascinating detail in verse 35. Jesus says to his disciples, lift up your eyes and see the fields. In your mind's eye, can you see Jesus pointing in the distance towards the town of Sychar? And as he spoke about the fields being white for harvest, I imagine there'd have been crops growing in the fields as he pointed out towards the town. But there was something else for the disciples to see as well. Beyond the fields, over the hill, the disciples would have seen, do you remember it from verse 30? People coming out of the town and heading for Jesus. So as Jesus said to the disciples in verse 35, lift your eyes, see that the fields are white for harvest. Yes, he was pointing to a crop of barley or wheat or whatever was growing in the fields. But if only the disciples would look and lift their eyes, they'd also see a crop of people ready to be harvested, if I can put it that way. A whole town of people on their way out to meet Jesus. What a surprise for the disciples that would have been. Because this crowd of people flocking towards Jesus were Samaritans. The last people the disciples would ever have thought would want to follow Jesus. Again, I just find myself like the disciples. I I think I know who's interested and who isn't. I make a judgment call on who I think might become a Christian and who won't. I look at crowds of people and assume they're not interested in Jesus. I look at the city and, well, I don't think harvest time. I think they won't be interested. And Jesus says, get on with sowing the seed of the gospel. Get on with reaping the harvest and leading people to Christ. Don't put it off. Don't look at people and think they won't be interested because, as we'll see in a moment, they were interested. As we've seen with this woman, she was interested. And so what happens in in the next uh, verses, in verses 39 to 42, is that ripe harvest being reaped, as many of the Samaritans in the town believed. And that's our third point, the Samaritans' belief. 
a town changed. Verse 39 is staggering. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. We've already seen this. This woman's utterly transformed. So she told people about the impact Jesus had had on her life. And as a result, many believed in Jesus. And if you're a Christian here today, it's just such a simple but brilliant thing to do. Tell people how Jesus has changed your life. If you're here this lunchtime and you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus, and if you've come with a a Christian colleague, well, ask them, how has Jesus changed your life? That is what's going on here. The Samaritan woman did that, and as a result, many believed in Jesus. And verse 40, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. And then they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe, we've heard for ourselves and we know this is indeed the saviour of the world. See, there's the harvest of verse 41. Many more believed. The woman's testimony drew them to listen to Jesus. And then when they, do you notice it there? When they heard his word, they were convinced that he was the saviour of the world. Again, that is our conviction here. That Jesus is the saviour of the world and that as we pass on the word of God, the Bible, as we give the friends and colleagues a gospel to read or read the gospel with them. And as we bring along to these lunchtime meetings to hear the word as the word of Jesus is heard, lives are transformed as people come to realise that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Again, if you're looking into these things today, thanks so much for coming. You're very welcome. Please take a copy of John's Gospel. Read it for yourself. If you've come with someone, read it with them. Because here is where you'll discover that Jesus is the saviour of the world, not just the Jewish Messiah, not simply one of many options, but the saviour of the world, the one and the only one who can save us from the consequences of constantly replacing the Lord God with other things. Well, there we have it. Three weeks of having looked at this incredible encounter between Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well, where we've seen that Jesus is the only place where we'll find real satisfaction, the only one who can give us life beyond the grave, the only one who can save us from our sin, and where we've seen that knowing Jesus is utterly life-transforming. It transformed Stephen Lungu, converted at the very meeting he went to blow, blow up. And he went on to tell thousands and thousands of people about Jesus. Transform the woman at the well. Just a simple testimony. Come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. And the whole town was changed. And you know, knowing Jesus can transform you and me. And then as we tell others about Jesus, it could have a huge impact. Dozens in the office. Hundreds in a company. Thousands across the city changing their lives not only now, but for eternity. Let me lead us in a prayer. Our Father, we thank you for this life-transforming message of a deep and personal relationship with, with you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that it's a message not only for now, but for eternity. We thank you that it is the only message, that Jesus is the only one, 
who can give us both all that we're really looking for, but even more importantly, all that we will and can have in the future. And so for those of us who are already followers of yours, we pray that um, this life-changing message would continue to change our lives and we'd want to keep telling people about you. And for those inquiring, please give them the, well, whatever they need, the courage and the, uh, the time uh, to read your word and to discover for themselves that Jesus really is the saviour of the world. Amen.